High five for Satan. Nobody in here will do it. But yet the real question then is that if Jesus is the life and the light of mankind, why doesn't our life replicate that life and that light that represents mankind or that is for mankind? See, because in a verbal sense, we would never say high five, you know what I mean, team Satan, team Satan. But with our life, the way we live our life, the way we interpret what is true and what is false, many of us, let me say not us because I, I'm not in for team Satan, but many of you guys represent Satan by the way you live your life. Many of us represent Satan by what we call true and what we call false. So although we don't admit openly with words saying that we are team Satan, but we would know who they are by the way they live their lives. We would know them by their fruit, Jesus said. Who is of me and who is not of me. Fruit meaning the way you live your life. The way you talk, the way you con- the way you're, you know, the conversations in which we are having. And so we need to get down to the nitty-gritty then and ask ourselves what is true and what is false. Because if I'm living a false life, whether it be knowingly or, or unknowingly, I definitely want to know how, do I, how can I do better in the sense of what is really true and what is really false then. Can I get that definition? And that in this series, that is exactly what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about what is true and false in the faith, according to God's word in contrast to what we're living and what we're believing in this world. And we see it every day in the media, right? We see the marches and the movements for abortion. We see the marches and the movement to try to get the president out of his presidency. We see the marches and the movement for homosexuality and same-sex marriage. And now it's going on to pedophilia where, 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 where people want to marry little children and, and other people want to have all type of uh, wives or whatever, five people in a home married together and stuff. All these marches are going on. And it's so easy to lose what is really true then? Right? And in grammar school now, in public schools, you have, they call it health, health education, but it's really sex education. And now it's no longer a guy with a girl. Now they're teaching like it's okay and they're trying to soften your heart and soften your mind to say, hey, we got a guy, guy here. We got a girl, girl here. Hey, this is all awesome now. It's okay. And then for many of us, because we see it everywhere now, they even have a Disney TV show now where, where it has homosexuality in it, and they give it to us so much, all these, and not just homosexuality. It's all type of stuff, racism in a different form now. All these other things are happening through the media, through Hollywood, through movies, through the, uh, the educational system, and what's happening is that it is reprogramming our minds to no longer think on ba- or, or think or base your ideology or the way you, you live your life, your worldview, no longer on truth. It's on whatever you want to, whatever you want to call is truth. Whatever feels like it's okay, like whatever is innocent, it's not that bad, right? You see uh, Ellen DeGeneres, am I saying that right? Ellen DeGeneres, and like, man, that is the coolest homosexual person I've ever met in my life. Like, I would hang with Ellen DeGeneres, just like normally, like, girl, what's up? Yeah, I know, I know, this is what it is, right? Funny, funny lady, right? Cool lady, but she's a homosexual. And see, we'll see that, and it's not to say, oh, she's a bad person, because she seems like a pretty, pretty decent person. But nonetheless, they show us these, these different kind of icons and, and these different kind of people to soften our heart and to no longer think about what is true and moral. It's now we start thinking about, it's not that bad. I mean, they're not, they look like they really love each other. 
they look like they were born this way. I mean, sin is not that bad. I mean, it's okay. It's not hurting anybody. I'm just enjoying my one life. That's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm still a Christian. I'm still, you know what I mean? I'm still in the light. I still hang with Jesus. But see, the fact of the matter is, is that it's all false. It is all false. But many of us here will go back home tomorrow or go back to school on Monday and continue to live that false life and thinking and assuming that God is okay with that. And so we ask ourselves, what is true and what is false? Who defines what is true and what is false? Can what is true for me not be true for somebody else and yet both be true? Is true or false based on feelings or one's perspective or idea of a particular person, place, or thing and still be valid or a reliable source of true or false? In 2016, this is the last year, the Oxford Dictionary word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. What does post mean? Anybody? After, right? Two guys over here. You guys with me over here? What does post mean? After, right? What is truth? Right? Truth is things that are true, right? So if they're saying after truth, what are they trying to say in our society? We're past it. It's no longer true anymore. We don't no longer abide by the truth of what we call actual truth. Because last year's word of the year, meaning these are the people that were looking up this word the most in their dictionary, was post-truth. Meaning we are living in an area where truth no longer exists, where truth no longer validates real information or influence upon the people, whether it be politically or whether it be culturally or in our society. It doesn't no longer matter what true is and what false is. It's whatever you feel is true, it's true, it's true. Whatever you feel like is truth, then that's truth, whatever you want to define it. So meaning facts are less influential in the shaping of public opinion. So truth basically is no longer needed to move the public opinion. Therefore, our society, us, our society, America, Chicago, Illinois, Washington, the White House, all of that, right? Our society is left to define what true or false what is true or false based on our personal preference, based on our feelings, based on our political views in any matter? Leaving us to define what is true or false, not based on facts, but on what is the, the, the latest trend, based on cultural beliefs, based on the next march in downtown, our society worldviews on whatever is true or society worldviews, whatever is true for you is true for you, and whatever is true for me is true for me. As long as you don't hurt nobody or offend the other. It's called relativism. And that is the kind of truth that we're living in right now, false truth, where they said, hey, you know what? Whatever you believe is true, that's cool. That's, if that helps you, then that's, that's good for you. And whatever I believe is true is good for me. As long as you don't come against my truth, and I don't come against your truth. Hey, we're both right. But what about if your truth is one truth, my truth is another truth, so I call, but my truth said that your truth is a lie. Then what happens? What happens then? What about if my truth goes against what you believe as true? I had a conversation, right, with my daughter the other night just asking her, you know, kind of get information from a youth, a teenager about, you know, the whole, you know, this, this series and what she thought about and what was her worldview on what is truth. And the main thing that she struggled with was telling a homosexual that they were wrong. 
that it's a sin. And she said, I just can't get my head around it. I can't just, like, how can a person tell another person who believes that they were born this way, who feels it like it's true and that they were born this way with every fiber of their being, how can we tell them that they're wrong? How can we do that? And for her, that was her truth. She believed it. She like, this is what's true for me. Then that there's nothing wrong with it. How can we do that? So therefore, there's nothing wrong with it. But it wasn't based on facts. It was just based on feelings. And that feeling that she had dictated her whole mindset toward truth. That it didn't even matter if you if you had facts in front of you. It doesn't matter anymore because I feel like it's true, and so therefore it's true. But then when I told, okay, so. What about if, you know, your truth is, hey, I believe so, homosexuals okay, and, you know, they, they can do their thing. They're not hurting anybody. They believe they're born that way, things like that, even though that's not scientifically proven. If anything, it's, it's proven to be opposite of that. But then I told her, say, so what about if I believe that murder and rape is okay for me? And that's true for me. Literally, her eyes changed. Like, what? Like, she looked at me like, are you stupid? Like, literally, she gave me that look, right, Aviana? She gave me that look like, you're stupid, like you're dumb, like that's obvious. But the thing is, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at her back like, what's obvious, what you just said, is wrong too. You know what I mean? But the thing is, I said, well, what happens is that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, right? But what about if my truth goes against what you believe is true? That you believe, hey, rape and murder is wrong. No, you can't do that. But, hey, this is okay. What I believe over here is okay. But what you're doing, what you're saying, that is wrong. Well, who's, who's you to tell me I'm wrong now? If you believe homosexuality is okay, and I believe rape and murder is okay, then which one is wrong or which one is right? Who, how can you know what is true then? How can you? And I had to tell her, and what we need to understand and what we're going to learn in this, in this book of one John, of 1 John is the fact that the only way, just like I told her, the only way for somebody to tell somebody else what is truth, it has to be somebody that's above humanity. Somebody that is all authority and all power. Somebody that is full God and full man. And see, the crazy part about it is I happen to know a guy like that. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he was all God and all man. And therefore, when it comes down to truth, we don't look for it inside society or our feelings. We look to truth from the one who is truth and the giver of truth who put it in our hearts. See, he didn't take, I asked my daughter after this, I said, hey, well, how did you learn or who told you that murder and rape was wrong? Who taught you that? And she's looking and thinking, and it was like she was really into it. You know, I appreciate her. She was helping me, you know what I mean, with the sermon. And she's really thinking about this stuff, and she's like, she's like, uh, the news. <laughs> I'm like, I like the news, the news I never heard the news sit there and say, like, well, we are, my name is Walter Jacobson, and this is WGN News, Channel 9 News. We are here to serve you today, and today we're going to talk about thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not rape. We don't, we don't never hear that. We hear people getting raped. We hear people getting murdered, and we hear people getting locked up, but we don't hear them say, hey, you know, you, you shouldn't murder. Or you shouldn't rape. In fact, when she started to think about it, she even said to us, to me, she said, you guys never even taught me that. And I want to get you guys to do the same thinking process. I'm going to ask you guys, who taught you or who told you? Like, how did you know murder was wrong? How did you know rape was wrong? Who taught you that? Anybody. Free to answer. Right? Your dad. So your dad said, hey, son, Victor, I want to talk to you today. How you doing? I am your papi, and you are my son. And today I want to tell you, thou shalt not murder. He told you that? 
He explained what it is. Amen. He was a, a godly man. Praise God. But other than that, like, we didn't teach my daughter and my kids, hey, son, daughter, I want to tell you guys something real fast. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not rape. Thou shalt not do all these other things. Right? When I, we told her, no, don't do this, don't do this. But when it came down to things that were obvious, we didn't have to teach him that. She already knew in the consciousness of her mind that murder was wrong. She knew rape was wrong. She knew it to such a degree that when I told her, well, what about my truth is that murder and raping is okay. And I go around just raping and murdering everybody. And she, well, you're crazy. That's wrong. Well, who said it was wrong? Then I went on and had my other daughter step in. I said, uh, uh, Leilana, do you remember when in kindergarten, as far as back as kindergarten? She said, yes. And I said, man, did they ever teach you about thou shalt not murder and rape and that, and that one in and, and, and kindergarten? Well, not that I know of, no. Of course not. Does anybody else remember in kindergarten? Teacher standing up and say, hey, I want to holler at you real fast. Right? Today we're going to do this. Right? You did, but you're a homeschool, right? You're in a Christian school. See, you're cheating. But basic world, right? Basic world, right? They did not, listen, in kindergarten, the teacher did not get up and like, hey, children, today, we are not going to learn ABC, one, two, three. Thou should not murder and don't kill me. This today is going to be this nursery rhyme. No, that did not happen. Why it didn't happen? Because truth was already inside of us. That people like parents and everybody else, we didn't have to tell you murder was wrong because it was already instilled within our hearts. It was already instilled within our minds so that we know this is true. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. You shouldn't be murdering, dude. You shouldn't be raping people. You should not be doing this stuff. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't lie. All these things are all just naturally, you know this, not to do it. You know it without a shadow of a doubt. Somebody don't have to come over and tell you, hey, dude, murder is just sometimes you can do it, sometimes you just can't. No, you already know. No, dude, you're stupid. Murder is wrong, and I can't do that. Why? I don't know why. It's just not right. It's in me to say it's not right. It's not right. I cannot do that. And so, therefore, that lets us know that there is one who gives us morality and truth. There's an ultimate truth giver who is truth. There's an ultimate moral giver who is absolutely moral. And this is what we need to talk about and get into. So after that, well, I, want to, I want us to now go into 1 John chapter 1. And see, the only one who can give to us truth has to be above us and our morality. You see, it can't be somebody who is with us and like us and say, hey, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because then you can simply say what? Who are you? Right? My, my, that's my daughter. My daughter's stance was that. Like, who are we to tell these people they cannot do that? And I'm like, you're absolutely right when you think, when you, when you, if you're saying we in a sense of just human beings, who are we then? Who are we? Who are we to tell somebody else how to live their life? Who are we? See, our life doesn't have any emphasis or any, any kind of importance then when it comes down to that. Because we have no authority, right? But what about the one who has authority? What about God? Right? We open up our Bibles. And I'm going to read to you guys 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1 to 2, 2. Right? We got 12 verses. Can I read 12 verses? Right? Some of you guys are like, oh, my goodness, 12 verses. No, I'm not ready. Abel's like, dude, I'm leaving right now with the cookies and the hot chocolate. I'm out this piece. Can we read the Bible in church? Can we do that? Right? How many people actually read the Bible? Four, five. Okay. Well, today we're going to read the Bible. Now you can say, dude, I just read the Bible on Friday. Well, it was read to me. Or you can read it with me, matter of fact. And this is what the Word of God says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this, 
This we proclaim concerning the word, capital W, of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with who? The Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete, our joy or your joy our joy uh, together, mine and yours, complete. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Somebody say there is no darkness at all in God. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we declare ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make, out, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children... I write to you so that I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. That is the word of God, and now we're going about to jump right in to the word of God. Amen. In the first four verses, first four verses, we hear things that really relate to our senses, right? We hear the sense of what? What does he start off with? The sense of hearing, right? The sense of hearing. He then jumps to the sense of seeing with our eyes. He then jumps saying we have looked at him. That is a more closer thing. In our hands, right? The sense of what? Touch. Have touched. Have touched him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And so what's happening in chapter 1, verse 1, is that John is going back. to It's the same John that wrote the, the, the gospel of John. And he goes back to John chapter 1, verse 1. It is the same kind of language. That Jesus Christ, the 100% God, 100% man, was in the beginning, meaning he had eternal life. Jesus Christ had eternal life. And when you see all these senses, what John is saying was that he didn't hear this from somebody else. He didn't call up the warriors and like, yo, how's Jesus doing? Let me know about him. Yeah? He rose. Oh, snap. What else he did? He died. Oh, okay. Let me go tell him. Bye. And then go back. No. John, the apostle John, was there. He was letting us know through these senses that, listen, I am not telling you something that I heard from somebody else. I am telling you something that I have seen with my own eyes. I have heard with my own ears. I have touched with my own hands. I have seen it. I witnessed it. So what did he see and witness then? Because there was, there was a growing up here. It starts off by saying hearing, and then it goes off to saying seeing with our eyes. It's getting a little personal. If you ask somebody, well, how do you notice what I heard it? And it's like, oh, okay, you could have heard wrong, right? But then it was like, no, no, but I seen it. You, with your own eyes? Yes, I've looked at it. I looked at him with my own eyes. Are you sure? Yes, dude, I, went, I touched him. I touched him. I hung around him. I had a relationship with him. I fellowshiped with him for three years. This is what John did for three years. 
And so he's breaking down something from a, from a point of view as a witness, not somebody who heard of somebody else that, that did something and then a long time ago through his stepbrother and then talked to his sister and then the dogs just started talking like some dumb crazy stuff. No, this wasn't a telephone game. He was a witness, an eyewitness to what Jesus Christ did and who Jesus Christ was. And what he's talking about in these verses, from verse 1, he goes on ahead and says, I am an eyewitness to the word of life. That word, capital W, is talking about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is life. He is life. Verse, in verse 2, he goes on a little rabbit trail, and then verse 3, he gets back on track by saying, hey, I have seen it, I have heard it, I'm an eyewitness, this is what I'm telling you guys. I've seen this stuff. And what has he seen? What is going on here? See, what's, what was going on here was there was false teachers who were teaching false things about Jesus Christ. And they were saying, no, the incarnation did not happen. During this time this letter was written, John wrote this letter so that he can go against what the false things of the world were saying. And those false things was that Jesus Christ was not 100% God and 100% man. They didn't believe in the incarnation, that he was both those things, that he was God first and then came down through a virgin birth and that he, was, he put on an earth suit, a human suit, and became a, a full man as a baby, grew up, childhood, teenager, and then an adult, that he went through. No, they didn't believe that. And so when they didn't believe that, what they were then teaching other people was that Jesus' life had no significance and no importance to us, so therefore we didn't have to be like Jesus. His life don't mean anything. So if he's not 100% God, 100% or 100% man, we don't have to listen to him. We can just do whatever we want to do because his life has no significance in my life. Does that sound familiar to somebody's life in here? Think about that. Are you the one who is teaching and preaching the same thing to yourself? And so what happens is that John begins to correct these lies by telling the truth. And what he's saying was, I was an eyewitness concerning the word of life. Verse 2 says, the life appeared, meaning it came from God, from heaven on down. I seen the life. He was a real man. I seen him. He was human, 100%. He said, we've seen it and testified to it that God was, that Jesus was a real man. And then he goes on and says, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, meaning he was not just a man, but he was 100% God. He had eternal life. It says, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, meaning he was already alive from the beginning. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is God Almighty. He came from the Father. He had always been. And when he appeared, he's showing him that, yes, Jesus is God 100%. And, yes, he was 100% man into this world. It's called the hypostatic union. Somebody say hypostatic union. Right? Now say, ooh. Sounds like a big, hard word to understand, right? Like, what are you talking about, hypostatic union, dude? That sounds like a drink, dude. Give me some of that stuff, dude. No, not that kind of party, man. Not even next, not even next week, but it will be a party next week, amen? But what's going on with the hypostatic union is that it's two words. Hypo means under, and it comes, a static, uh, static comes from the word stasis, which means standing. And what it is is two natures, 100% God, 100% man, in Jesus Christ, under, right, under one standing or an equilibrium, balance, meaning that Jesus Christ embodied 100% God and 100% man. Why is that important, Steve? Why are you telling us all this high-tech theological stuff? I'm going to tell you why. Because just as my daughter said, how are we as men? 
as just regular people can tell some other person that they're wrong. And the answer to that is, yeah, we can do that. But I know somebody who's a God man, Jesus Christ. And see, John was representing Jesus Christ and letting us know that Jesus was 100% God with all authority, with all truth. He is truth. He is powerful. He is all those things. He is God Almighty and therefore has authority in his body. And two, he was 100% man. He had life. And that life became the example for us to live our life by his example and the way he lived his life. It gives us significance. It gives us authority within our own lives. That we can no longer look at Jesus and say, yeah, I know his life. I heard about his life, but it has nothing to do with me. His life don't have any power, any influence in my life. And that's false. That is false. He goes on and said, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And so I want to give you guys what's going on here. The only way we can tell somebody else what is truth and what is not, the only way we can know what is truth and what is not has to come from Jesus Christ. It comes from fellowship with God and with other believers. That is how it gets down. And so, therefore, verses 1 through 4 gives us a representation of the nature of God and all its power and authority as 100% God and representation of the nature of of man and all its humanity as 100% man through Jesus Christ. And so John is proclaiming or declaring that Jesus' life is the life that represents the life we ought to become from his authority as 100% God. And so the only way we can become like Jesus is through fellowship or communion with God the Father, through and with God the Son, who gives an example of living the way God would have us to live. Therefore, John makes a declaration that we can have fellowship with other believers because our fellowship is not of ourselves, what we made up or assume. But our fellowship, our communion, intercourse, not sexual intercourse. Get that straight. Not that kind of intercourse. But the intercourse that is a sharing of life, thoughts, and feelings with other believers and with God. And so, it is with the Father and the Son. That is why we can have completed a completed joy in that it is from the true facts, from an eyewitness who receives his facts from God that benefit everyone who believes. Now, I want to tell you, I'm going to ask you guys, is the first question true or false? Can we live the life God the Father exampled us to live through Jesus without fellowship, communion, intercourse, sharing life, thoughts, and feelings with other believers and with God? Can we do that? Hmm? False. Victor was like, yes, we can. Yes, we can, dude. I'm going to the club right after this sucker. No, we cannot. We cannot live the life that God intended for us to live without fellowship or communion with God. Fellowship is sharing life together with other believers and with God. Let me tell you what's going on here. Because I know it's a lot of big words thrown around. It's hypostatic union. You guys probably still stuck on that. And like, what, what, oh, what? No. Listen, this is what's going on. Jesus' life becomes the example of how we ought to live life and an example for all life. See, the moment we remove Jesus out of the equation as though his life had no significance, no authority over life in general, 
we begin to then have the decision for ourselves to choose how we ought to live our own life. And so what happens is that we assume that we don't need fellowship with God. We don't have to share life with God. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to do none of that. I just need God to come into my life, give me a smile and thumbs up and say, hey, you're living a good life. No, he's not going to do that. That is not the real Jesus. That may be a Catholic Jesus, but that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible demands and commands that we follow him and be like him. And so, therefore, many of us in this room, listen to me now. Many of us in this room, we assume that this answer to the true or false is true. Because we've been living it and doing it up to this point. Thinking that, man, hey, I can come to church on, on Friday or whatever, do whatever I want to do. But then every other day, I can just chill and do whatever I want to do and hang with the world and hang with sinners. But see, what happens is that when you have the, the one that you have fellowship with the most is the one you will begin to be like. That is what's going on. And so, therefore, we believe the lie that we can have two and live whatever way we want to live and still say we're Christian. That is false. God said, no, we cannot be like that. My life is authoritative. My life is the example of how you ought to live. That's why we call ourselves Christians. It means to be like Christ, to be like him. So what is stopping us from being like Jesus? It's the lack of fellowship. It's the lack of acknowledging the life of Jesus Christ fully for what he is or who he is. 100% God, 100% man, all authority and able to tell us how we ought to live life, what is true and what is false. And so moving on, the idea is that fellowship between believers and God is learning the true way how to live the life God has given us by fellowshipping with other believers who are strong in their faith and with the Lord who shows us how to truly live and that with joy. You see, you know what happens with this joy? We begin to be afraid just like the believers in the Bible. Those that were believing. He said join there because there was a lot of believers that didn't have joy. They didn't have joy because they started to believe the lie. And they weren't, they weren't, how you say, um, convinced or had that, um, that, that reliance on Jesus Christ because the false teachers told them false things. That you don't need to do this. Jesus Christ is nothing. And so did they, what do you mean he's nothing? That we can do whatever we want to do. That doesn't make sense. I don't know. And they lost their joy because they started to believe the lie. And so we come here every Friday after being in the world and not fellowshipping with God, not talking to God, not fellowshipping with other believers. We've been fellowshipping with the war, with the world, and we come in to elevate service, and we have no joy because we don't know if this church falls on us if we're going to heaven or hell because we've been living a life, and we know it deep down inside, that we're living a life that is false, that is not the way God intended us to live. And so we come on Fridays with our head down. It's like, dude, I don't know what's wrong with me no more. I don't even know if I'm saved, man. It's like, I don't even know where God is at. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you have not put God as the number one person in your life that has complete access and example to your life. You haven't enjoyed fellowship with God and his people. And so as we move on, because time is short, right, we have to, we have to see now how the other, the other purpose of, life, of the life of Jesus was and is the light of mankind. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. His life became the light of mankind. 
And we go on and we move to chapter uh, verse 5. It says, this is the message we heard, which he was talking about. He's trying to give us the message, and he's explaining now what fellowship is. And it says fellowship, the definition of fellowship and what happens when you have fellowship with believers after fellowshipping with God is that you give a message that you hear from God on your time of fellowship. And he said from him and declare, from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all. He uses the word light to explain just like this flashlight right here. You guys are probably wondering what is in his back pocket. It's a flashlight. Some of y'all can get blind from this. I like that. Wakes you up, right? But the thing is, I'm going to tell you what happens. He, he describes God as being light. After talking about fellowship, and he's going to go right back into fellowship too. But see, God is the life, an example of our life. So that when we allow Jesus Christ into our life as the ultimate 100% God, 100% man, example, authority in our life, what he does is because his life is a light of all mankind, he puts a light on you. Right? He'll put a light on you. And see, what happens with this light is that darkness can never overcome it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? As long as you are in the light, TJ, darkness can never hit you. Because what the light does, it exposes darkness. See, any shadow up here, whenever we put the light on, the darkness goes away. And see, in that sense, because Jesus is the life and the light of all mankind, when we stand in his light and in fellowship with God and other people, and we begin to hear what God is saying through the people that he put in our life, what truly is true and what is false, his light begins to shine in us. And now we start to recognize, wait a minute, I'm not living right. And he goes on saying like, Victor, like, Victor, you need to stop watching porn. You need to stop doing this. You need to see his light exposes the darkness. So then now what is able to happen when you have Jesus, the light of all mankind, his light shines on you. You're able to see yourself for who you are. Or for that manner, you're able to see yourself for who you're not. And in that case, because we assume and believe the lie that, that Jesus Christ, his life means nothing to me so I can live whatever way I want to live. What happens is that when the light touches on you, it shows you, yes, you're not saved. You're not saved. Somebody lied to you. Somebody deceived you. And so, therefore, that light shines in you because God is light. There is no darkness in him. And anytime you come in the presence of God, his light shines on you. And all it does is shines. And what it tells you is this part is out of order. You must get rid of this part. Hey, this is a lie. Hey, this is false. Hey, this is true. Hey, stick with this. Hey, stick with that. And his light begins to shine on us. And it shows us who God is in our life and who we are in comparison to Jesus. Not in comparison to your sister or your brother. Not in comparison to your dad or your mother. But in comparison to Jesus Christ. Because we may sit here and say, well, at least I'm better than Savage J. At least I'm doing better than Victor or, or Julian. You see, we can easily say that stuff when the light is not on us. And you're not looking. And the savage Jay can look at, or Jay can look at Terion and be like, well, at least I'm doing better than Terion. But see, when the light comes in his life, who's the light is Jesus Christ, and he comes on Jay, all of a sudden he starts realizing, wait a minute, my life is not really cracked up to what I think it is. I'm actually not doing too good. I actually need Jesus. I need the light to strengthen me. I need fellowship with believers and other with believers in God himself. 
And that is what we lack, but we assume that we can live this double life. And therefore, God says, there is, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Listen to this. If we claim to have fellowship, there's that word fellowship, sharing life with Jesus. Or for that matter, his life being shared with us as an example to how to live life. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, listen, listen to what the Bible says, real direct. We lie. And do not live out the truth. You see the word it leaves there? We do not live out the truth. You see, what happens is that this world, we're still believing the same thing. The lies are still going forward, and they're saying, Jesus Christ, dude, that stuff is old. You ever heard that? That book is old. Got nothing to do with us no more. His life, Jesus, Jesus, hey, Jesus. They can't even find his bones. You're like, yeah, of course. Because he resurrected, you dork. Right? Like, still, but why can't they find his bones? He rose. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. The thing is, they still, they use whatever reason to say Jesus' life was not real. Right? I had a person even today say, Jesus ain't real. And I had to tell, like, you know how ignorant you sound? That's like denying history itself. Real talk. Do your, do your history. It's like denying history itself. Even atheists believe that Jesus Christ was here. It's our history. But yet the point of the matter is, is that we think we can live two lives. We think that we can have Jesus, our buddy. Jesus, you got me. Yes, man, we're cool. We walk with Jesus. We do what I want to do. It's Friday. It's Elevate. I got to put on my Jesus mask on. We come here and do our thing. But then once Elevate is over, guess what we do? We back in the darkness. Like, man, I got to make sure it's dark, dude. What y'all doing tonight? You going to the club? I'll do what you want, man. You, finna keep, you smoking weed? I got halves on it, dude. And we stay in the dark. And then wherever we see light, like there's a Christian brother right like, oh, my goodness, there goes Joe B. Dude, run this way. And you run this way. And you come over here, you see Lawrence walking. It's like, dude, they're everywhere. And you walk this way. I do it. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, dude, the light is around here. I got to stay out of the light. And so we assume that we can live a double life because we think God's life, Jesus' life, has no significance in our life. And so we think we can walk in darkness and still yet claim to be in the light. And the Bible says you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And if the truth in his word is not in you, then that means you are not saved. You're going to hell. You are going to hell. And yes, man, Pastor Steve, why you got to talk like that? Why you got to send us to hell? I'm not sending you to hell. God is not even sending you to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. You're choosing to go to hell because I preach the truth every single Friday. I give the opportunity in this altar to come to the altar and give your life to Jesus Christ and stop living this double life. And so we come to the next thing. It says, fellowship is broken. Sorry, first five says, gives us how we talked about that. Fellowship is spoken of four times in this chapter. And it's attempting to get us to see how important the, the importance of fellowship with God and believers is. Number two, second, true or false, can we claim to have fellowship with God who is light, yet walk in the darkness or live a life of sin? True or false? Right? Everybody. Are you guys not up? Right, let me, let me repeat the question again. Maybe you guys didn't hear it. True or false? Can we claim to have fellowship with God, share life with God, right? Receive God's life, instruction, everything else, be in the light. With God who is light, yet walk in the darkness or live a life of sin. True or false? Right? True or false, Abel? False. True or false, Terry Hunt? Jay? False, right? Ashley, what do you think? Right? Walrus sisters, all, all for you, right? All deep, false. 
Right, it's false. Right, anybody over here? ISIS, what do you think? True or false? Who? Maybe? What? False, false, yes, false. Victor, go ahead. I know you want to go. False, yes. It is false. We cannot do both and still live out the truth. That is what the Word of God is saying. We lie and do not live out the truth. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, the lie was that in this time was that, hey, the false teachers were spreading lies. Like, dude, this life, this body is going to be, it's going to die. It's going to be destroyed anyways. So sin doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want to do. This body's going to die anyway. So what difference does it make? How many people heard that before? People tell me, dude, I only got one life. I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to live it to the fullest. All right? You guys can put your hands down. I'm going to live it to the fullest. And we adopt this kind of thing as though it's true that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't break relationship with God. We can do whatever we want to do. We can walk in darkness and still claim to be in a light. But the Bible says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Because the moment you sin, and the Bible says you break fellowship with God and people. You break the fellowship. And when you break the fellowship, you stop the hearing from God and then God's voice coming through other believers. Because that's what fellowship does. You were afraid and refused to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And that message is calling you. It is calling you. Tarry on. Come back home. All right, it's calling you. Will, come back to me, Will. You've sinned. Come back to me. Ashley, come back. And we can't hear because we lost fellowship with God and people and his people. Because we're walking in the darkness and not, and not walking in the light. But then the Bible says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all sin. The only way we can be kept from sin, it's not a matter of we're forgiven. Right? God forgives us through Jesus Christ. But if we could stop sinning, and the way we stop sinning or sinning less is staying closer under the light. We must stay under the light. You see, as long as light is on me, darkness can't touch me. See, as long as light is on you, as long as it is on you, darkness cannot get you. Do you understand? Darkness meaning sin. The sin can't get you because the moment it tries to come at you, guess what deflects it? The light takes it away. It exposes. And let's say you fall into sin and you're still under, you come back to the light. The light is there to say, yeah, that thing right there, you need to deal with that right there. Yep, it's right on your shoulder. Yep, get that. Sin out of your life. There it is. But the thing is, we must come and stay under the light. And so it is only when we walk in the light, as God is in the light, that we are able to have true fellowship with one another. And this is how sin is rejected and purified from our lives as we stay in fellowship with one another, right, and God. Sin, therefore, breaks fellowship with God and other believers. Here's the final, true or false. When we walk in the light or follow God's example of living, God is able to keep us from sinning, true or false. Somebody like that true. Who's, who like that true? Everybody like that true? So the thing is, yes, it's true. It is when we walk away from God and fellowship with him and believers that sin is able to have a hold on us and deceive us. So what must we do to walk in the light? Somebody answer that question. What must we do, Victor? No, we just talked about it. It starts with a letter F. What must we do to stay in the light? What must we do? 
It's fellowship. Fellowship with God and his people. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. When I became a Christian, I, had to, I was locked up. I had to find other Christians. But something I learned when I did that, and I had a lot of unsaved friends, right? And whenever I got with the unsaved friends, it was like I was doing some unsaved stuff, right? It was because I was having fellowship with them. And they were teaching me and telling me things about the world that sounded appealing to me, so I kept on sinning. But something happened when I started to fellowship with believers. And let's say this is like a group of believers, and I sat with the believers, and we started talking and kicking it, and they're telling me about their life in Jesus and how they overcame smoking weed and smoking cigarettes and cursing. And I'm like, man, dude. And every time they talked about the message of of the gospel and what God did in their life, the light began to shine in the different compartments of my heart. And it was like, man, I got to stop cursing, man. How do I stop cursing? How do I stop game banging? How do I get this thing out of my heart? And God showed me. It's in the light. Every time I hung around Christians, my faith seemed to grow a little bit more. Every time I hung around believers, they would give me truth, and I would begin to grow in my faith and my fellowship with God. Every time I hung around in the presence of God, I would begin to grow in the light of God, in my relationship with God. That sin became sinless. I started to sin less in my life, and I stayed inside the light. And see, what was holding me back, what I started to realize, what was holding me back was the fact that found in verse 8. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, many people in here, every Friday we preach the same, not the same word, but I preach from the word of God. Amen. How many people could attest to that? Right? You've heard it. You've seen it. Dude, I touched him. He's real. He's not some puppet. He's preaching the gospel, right? And every Friday I said, dudes, come up here, confess your sins unto the Lord, repent, meaning turn from your sins, ask God to save your life, to save you from your sin. Every Friday, right or wrong, what keeps us back from growing in God and becoming what God wants us to be is the lack of our admitting that we have sinned. You see, when we sin, we're not quick to come up here and repent or go to God and repent. You're not to come up here to repent. But when you're sinning at school, God, forgive me. You know what happens when you admit that you have sinned? Not that you're a sinner because you're a saint if you're saved in Jesus. But what happens when you admit that you, admit that you have sinned? You have agreed now with God Almighty in agreement with God and saying, God, what I have done is sin according to your word. God, help me to stop sinning. Help me to stop doing this, God. Help me to turn from this. And what happens is that your confession of God, your confession of coming in accord with God, I should say, according, uh, against that sin, that you have sin, God is then able to come into your life and begin to remove that stuff and purify you of that sin, forgive you of that sin. And see, what happens is that when you start confessing and admitting that you have sin in your life, God is then able to deal with you and deal with that sin. And then you can live the way God would have you to live. The problem is that we're so afraid to come up here and deal with God as though God is an angry man with a, with a, with a magnifying glass waiting to burn us. And he's not. He's a God who was ready and waiting to forgive you of your sin and deal with your sin. That is the God we serve. But we're afraid to do these things if we could all stand up. Verse 9 says that we confess our sins. And all that's going on is there's a parallel going on back and forth here between verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. In verse 9, he reiterates what he said in verse 7. He says, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The same thing as said. He would purify us from all sin. 
It says in verse 7, he will purify us from all sin. And then in verse, when he keep on going, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. He reiterates what he said in verse 8. 7, 8, 9, and 10 go together. They're just parallel to each other. And what is the message he's trying to give us here? He's trying to tell us that we have to admit that we have sin in our life. You see, and only, that only comes when you recognize that Jesus Christ is full God and full man. And when you begin to go on ahead and example your life to Jesus Christ's life, you will recognize real fast, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And the only way that can happen is if we confess our sins to the Lord. Can I get Stephanie up here? If we confess our sins to the Lord so that God can purify us from all sins, but not only that, so that he can remove all unrighteousness from our life. But it takes us to come into light. You see, it takes us to come into light, to be bold in faith and to come up here and say, God, put your light on my sin, God, and forgive me of it. Let your light cast away the darkness that is in my life called sin and remove it so that I can live in fellowship with you and other believers. See, we don't want to hang around with Christians too long because then after that, our life will be exposed that we really have a lot of darkness in us. But God wants us to deal with this darkness right here and right now. In closing, if I can do this in like 30 seconds, here we go. This is the encouragement to us. It says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. See, he's not giving you permission to sin. Hey, you know, if I sin, I can just confess my sins. He'll forgive me. No. He said, I write to you so that you will not sin. So that you will recognize the life of Jesus Christ and the significance and importance to all life, all mankind. That his life is a light of all mankind. His life is the example to every single one of us how we ought to live our life, how we ought to treat life, how we ought to pursue life, how we ought to do the things according to what Jesus did when he was here on earth. His example. And he says, but if anybody does sin, he doesn't say go lie and say you don't have sin. No. Go hide somewhere like these people did. They said, well, it doesn't matter or whatever. The body's going to be destroyed. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do me. It's easier to sin than not sin. And, hey, the body doesn't mean nothing anyways. Jesus, Jesus Christ's body didn't mean nothing. Right? So they use these dumb excuses because they didn't put Jesus Christ at the right standing of their life. As the example, the pinnacle of their own life, the example to live. And he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's like a lawyer with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus Christ died for each and every one of our sins. And all we have to do is come and confess them to the Lord. And agree with God's word that God is, is, is who he said he is. That Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And he offered his life as a living sacrifice for us. Died on the cross for our sins and became the payment for all our sins. But we have to come and get that. We have to come get forgiveness in the sense of confessing and believing. God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all the unrighteousness, God. I want to be like you, God. When we start confessing our sins, that is when we allow God to deal with our sins. But as long as we stay in our seats and we just say, well, nobody knows. I'm just going to keep my sin to myself. Guess what? 
That's all you're going to be in the end is by yourself. Because if you don't let God deal with your sin, that means you're going to have to deal with your sin and pay for them on your own. And according to the Bible, you pay for that in hell. In hell. In hell. And this is the conclusion of it all. We must fix our eyes on Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross and what that meant. What does that mean for us? That he died on the cross for our sins. Through his death, his burial, and resurrection. He who was in heaven came to earth to give us life and show us how to live a life through fellowship with him and other believers. We have to start fellowship and sharing life with Jesus and other believers so we can grow in our faith. But we must first believe who Jesus is and accept his life and the life we must live after. Second, confess our sins unto the Lord in our continual fellowship with him and other believers that he may keep us in the light as he is in the light. When you fall into sin, you confess it right there. You admit it to God. You've sinned. You ask God for forgiveness and you keep going in fellowship with God, not the world, with God. We got to get our truth from God. And this is the question for you guys. Have you been living a double life of claiming to have fellowship with the Lord yet walking in darkness? Removing yourself from the light. Is that any of you in here? Living this double life? Then come and confess your sins unto the Lord and turn from them and partner back in fellowship with the Lord. Another definition of fellowship is partnership. It is shaking God's hand and say, God, I come in agreement and partnership with you that you are the light, you are truth, and whatever you say, God, is truth, and whatever the world say is false. And I believe what you say, Jesus. You come in partnership with God. It says, have you believed and walked in the false ways of this world and have been compromising the true way of the Lord? Then confess your sins up here in this altar unto the Lord and start believing in the trueness of the word of God no matter what society says no matter what they declare no matter what the trends that come and go or the feelings that are false in comparison to the truth is that you? then I would say come I would say come do you have sins in your life right now that you need Jesus Christ to forgive you for? do you want to be a real Christian or a false one? Are you a Christian, true or false? Compared to this message, when you heard this message, what answer did you get after that? Am I really a Christian? Or am I just one man who doesn't really consider the life of Jesus any importance to me? Or that I can walk in darkness and still claim to be in the light? You're a liar and the truth is not in you, the Bible says. I would say, Come. Deal with your sin in the presence of God and let him wipe away clean all your sins and then stay in fellowship with believers in God Almighty. If that is you, I would say come. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray right now, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, and I ask God, I ask, Lord, that you would keep me in your light, God. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, God, and wash me of all unrighteousness, God. The times I have walked away, God. The times, Lord God Almighty, that I did not stay in the light and the truth of what you have said in my life, God. The moments that I doubted you and I said, no, Lord, I'm going to do it myself. I sinned against you, God. Forgive me, Lord. Have mercy on me, God. 
And I pray right now, God, I give you my life as you have given me your life. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that, God, that I will be a believer who walks in the light and not in the darkness, God. Lord, have your way, God, in the name of Jesus. Forgive me of all my sins, God. Be my Lord, be my Savior. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. I thank you, God, that you, God Almighty, was in heaven, came to earth, became a man. You were 100% God, 100% man. And you died for me, leaving me a legacy and example of how I ought to be here on earth based on your life and your authority as 100% God and 100% man. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, God. And I pray, Lord God, for every youth in here, God, every leader, God, that you would have your way in their life, God, no longer living in darkness, but, Lord, walking in your light. And those that are afraid, God, I pray right now, those that say, oh, I'm not ready to give my life to you, God. I still want to sin. I still want to walk in darkness. God, I pray soft in their heart right now because tomorrow is not promised. God, that they will deal with their sin right now and that you will wipe them away clean, God, in Jesus' name. Have your way, Father. Have your way, God. Yes, Lord.